0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome to the Pro-America Report, a super duper duper show uh, today. We've got some great guests and, um, well, I don't even know how to say, I don't even know how to talk about parts of this. So we we have Joel Pollack, the guy's phenomenal, incredible. He's got a, a biography he's written uh, about his mother-in-law, which sounds like, oh, well, who writes a a biography about your mother-in-law, unless <laughs> there's got to be a way to say, like, what's an anti-biography? But it's a very nice biography. His mother-in-law is a famous, famous political activist uh, in South Africa, um, and she's incredible. And her life is uh, incredible. He wrote this book about her. She passed away about a year plus ago. And so it's very cool. Joe Pollock is phenomenal, Breitbart.com. And also we'll talk with David Horowitz, who has yet another book. David Horowitz has another book, and it's another, um, I think he told me that, he told me that they're sell. They plan to sell a million copies. I mean, David Horowitz is selling books. The last four books he's done is by Humanix. Humanix is a publisher uh, headed by the founder of um, uh, of uh, Chris Ruddy of Newsmax, and um, and so David Horowitz has done four books uh, over the last say five years or so, and one after another has just been huge sellers. It's been incredible, and so he's got a new book. It's called Final Battle. The next election could be the last. So we'll talk with him. Now, the reason I started to say that is I had a conversation earlier on Thursday. I, I went out to see Richard Vagary, the famous Richard Vagary, um, who is in his late eighties and is more, um, more spry and energetic and, Conniving and planning—I mean it as a compliment—than anybody who's fifty years younger, um, and it's phenomenal to be with him. He's an amazing guy, and uh, he was—he was, um, he was uh, uh, very close friends uh, with uh, my uh, old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, and she just admired him. And actually, I went out to. Uh, see him in part because I just wanted to be around him. I've heard so much about him. I've known him over the years, Um uh, but I thought, you know, this is somebody that it's just amazing to talk to. He wrote a book a few uh, months ago called go big, the marketing secrets of Richard a Vigory. Um, he's been an ch- a s- incredible smash success at marketing and direct mail and other things. So that was really fun. And he's got a perspective on the history of things. One of the things about the perspective of time of history is seeing the length of the field of battle or the field of engagement. And one of the things that I'm so uh, interested in is how the pro-life community moves forward. I've talked about this before, but, you know, at the March for Life on Friday in Washington, D.C., that's the place where hundreds of thousands, up to millions, would gather in order to uh, voice their displeasure with Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, this completely made-up right-to-privacy and right to abortion it just didn't exist in the Constitution before 1973 when when and as I often say to tell you, uh, Clark Forsyth, the amazing uh, lawyer who uh, has been with the uh, the Americans United for Life uh for decades. Clark Forsyth, uh, his book called Abuse of Discretion, published in 2013, Abuse of Discretion, the inside story of Roe v. Wade. If you read that, Clark went in, Clark D. Forsyth went in and looked at the bench memos from the U.S. Supreme Court, from the Roe v. Wade court. And basically what you see in the memos, memorandums, notes, all that, that was finally released to the public in about 2010, 2011, you see that they made it up. They made up a right to privacy and a right to abortion. They just made it up. And they made it up as a politically expedient decision. And for 50 years, it was a curse, a, a, a real uh, weight on the country. and uh, And the March for Life in Washington, D.C. and in most communities, Many, many communities, many cities. St. Louis, where I'm from, used to have a big march for life. Other cities. Well, th- this was the, uh, around the anniversary uh, uh, of 1973, late January, where Roe v. Wade, Doby Bolton was decided. And um, this year, it's been wiped away. The the uh, Dobbs decision wiped it away, reversed it. And so the the question for Richard Vagary and others is: What now? What next? You know, what happens next? What happens next in uh, in the uh, world of pro-life now that this is gone? The, the battle over life is not over. In fact, um, my friend Bridget Van Means of Thrive Nation, she has uh, talked often about how Planned Parenthood has already targeted um, the digital sphere, sphere for getting to the women that are pregnant, the mothers, uh, and trying to target them. And that what you need to know is that the – Planned Parenthood, the abortion interests, and I mean it that way, the people that are interested in abortion happening and happening frequently, they are not sitting around going, Oh wow, we lost. In fact, they used the COVID pandemic as a way to make it so they could mail through the mail the abortion drugs, which was, was, was not allowed before COVID. And then they used the COVID where there was a great uh, push to have more and more uh, telemedicine so that you didn't have to see a patient in the presence of a doctor and have a patient drive to the doctor's office, get out of the car, walk in, see a receptionist, then see a nurse, then see the doctor, and you'd end up people getting COVID, so telemedicine. So the forces that are interested, and what you need to know is I'm saying that intentionally, the forces that have an interest, generally pecuniary, generally money, but also electoral and votes campaigns, they have not been sitting around going, oh, wow, oh, this is really tough. Well, you know, we're, we're losing that legal argument, Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton. No, they have been redoubling their forces. I, I remember Bridget Van Means up on Capitol Hill, again, from Thrive Nation, and we were meeting with a congressman, and she was talking about how, how the Planned Parenthood folks had shifted, uh, had had objected in some states particularly to the use of the word fetal remains, the so-called fetal remains laws, because they didn't want people to think of the baby as a baby. They wanted it to be tissue. And so fetal remains laws, which would allow people to bury those remains and treat them like humans that they are, they didn't like that Planned Parenthood. That's interesting enough, powerful enough. But Bridget went on uh, further and talked about the reality of Planned Parenthood announcing that they're moving to digital. They're not even going to try. They're not going to worry about trying to get women into abortion clinics. They will if they can in places like California or New York. But mostly they're going to use digital. They're going to get access to the women, the mothers, through digital, through digital social media and otherwise, through sophisticated means, and then use telemedicine and and uh, and abortion drugs. It's a whole new world. So the March for Life, the marches for life across the country, the celebration of pro-life, it's almost like it's a movement that needs to redouble. Now, I've told you before, we talked about it last week, one of the the, 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 the refocus, maybe better than redouble, re, a focus, a refocus, should be on the mother. That's Bridget Van Meen's teaching me, emphasizing that to me. Focus on the mother. Before you say, it's a life, you got a mother who's, who's watching her life be turned upside down and is scared and lonely and worried and, and seeing dreams go away and seeing relationships torn asunder and, and seeing things fractured and seeing a sense of self be diminished. The mother is the starting point. And what you need to know is the pro-life movement's got to adjust because the culture, big tech, big media, and big government, the narrative machine And the culture drives a message that's very anti-life, pro-abortion. All right, that's what you need to know. We'll come back. We will talk in a moment uh, with uh, Joel Pollack and then David Horowitz. Uh, Great program. Join me. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back, welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a while since I've talked to Joel Pollack, I'm embarrassed to admit, because he is over at Breitbart News, Breitbart.com. He's a senior editor-at-large, uh, writes on Great's Great Stuff, also hosts his own program, Sunday evenings, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, SiriusXM XM Patriot uh, Channel. He's got a new biography, though. That's what uh, got me to reach out to him, finally. He's got a new biography. It's called Rhoda. Rhoda. Now, let me, when I mispronounce it, Rhoda Comrade Cadalia. Cadalia? You? You Are Out of Order, a biography. Now, I might have mispronounced some of that. But the interesting thing is that Joel Pollack's, this is his mother-in-law, uh, Rhoda Cadelia. you got to correct me, uh, 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 Joel. Sorry. I should have asked you off the air before. But it's uh, fascinating. And uh, welcome to the program, Joel Pollack. How are you?
2: Thank you very much for having me back Ed. and it's Kadali. That's how you Kadali. say her name. Rhoda okay, Kadali. Good.
1: Yes. Rhoda Kadali and if you go to rhodakadali.com is a website there that shows the biography and uh, and you can learn all about it. Um, now first of all, your your wife is is I, and I, I say this the right? way, she she's kind of famous herself. She's a very she's quoted often I see her name in the press. She's herself a, a successful professional um and this is her mom. Um, did you know her mom well? I mean, were you were you was she alive long enough that she's overlapping with you?
2: Well, it's funny. I actually knew my mother in law before I met my wife. Oh, so wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I tell that story in the book, but essentially, the the short version is that my mother in law was a very well known writer in South Africa. She had been many other things before that she'd been an anti-apartheid activist, she'd been a feminist, a scholar, she'd been on Nelson Mandela's Human Rights Commission, Mm -hmm. and then she resigned to lead a non-governmental organization that funded successful private-public partnerships in South Africa. So she wore many hats, but she was very well known at that time as the leading critic of the new South African government. So she Worked hard to get rid of the old apartheid government, but then became the leading critic of the new post-apartheid government for reasons that will immediately become clear if you go to rotakadali.com or if you just look at the latest headlines from South Africa, where, for example, right now, people are spending up to 12 hours a day without electricity. So she was sounding some very early alarms about the radical left-wing policies that the new government was adopting and about its corruption you know she was very adamant about ending racial segregation and about protecting the rights of women but she did not believe that meant you have to implement left-wing policies ending racial discrimination is not a Mm left-wing policy it is it it is a policy shared by american conservatives as well as anti-apartheid activists in south africa it is a universal principle but what happens often is that the left takes ownership of the idea of ending racial inequality and then they implement all these other policies that have nothing to do with that and that in fact exploit those issues to enrich the people in power so she spoke out and i was working abroad in south africa and i got to know her i got her phone number somehow and we started speaking and about a year or so into our friendship, we hadn't we hadn't actually met physically. We used to speak on the phone all the time about politics and issues.
1: Mm-hmm. She
2: mentioned that her daughter had just gotten into Harvard, and I said, Well, that's funny coincidence because that's where I went. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even heard that she had a daughter. Coincidentally, my Boss at work told me that we were getting this brilliant intern who was about to go to Harvard and who was one of the best students in south africa and then really? I met her they, yeah they brought her they <laughs> wow. brought her into work, and <laughs> you know she was dropped dead gorgeous, but I thought well you know yeah. this is this is trouble, so I kept my distance uh-huh. but <laughs> wow. but um but then eventually these these two worlds came together, mm-hmm. and her daughter and I started a relationship, and she and I became very close my mother in law and i and she actually lived with us for a time here in Los Angeles when mm. she moved over to the States. But really an extraordinary person. She went from the left wing of the political spectrum to becoming a very adamant Trump supporter mm. in the last years of her life. And she got a lot of flacks for that, especially from her former colleagues on the left. But she believed Trump was a very important method or means for which the American electorate could get rid of corruption in Washington. She became... Mm very critical of our political system believed that it was mired in corruption and oligarchy and she saw trump a political outsider as the only person telling the truth about it so she was very very much a trump supporter
1: uh we're talking with joel pollack uh, his book uh which is out from the university of johannesburg press is called "Rhoda: a biography comrade Kadalia you're Kedalia, you're, Kedali, you're out of order um and um i should say uh joel has a couple other books one of the ones one of the books we had uh, him on talking about um was uh read november um and so so this is interesting the whole thing is interesting to me and wonderful and um and we should point out that um she she passed away the the subject of this book passed away in from cancer in april of 2022 so there's something of a um i don't know uh homage to this that you're writing about this woman who had such a big role in your life and the wife of your family uh, your wife the life of your wife and your family um but as you say, she would have lived and been a prominent through a period of history that's almost unprecedented, right? I mean, South Africa and how as it went through a period of dramatic change and then, I don't know what to say... It's not that everything stalled, but it, as you point out, it didn't work out. And um, same thing in America, in a way. I mean, you saw this dramatic rise, even if you just talk about Breitbart. Breitbart.com's dramatic rise of alternate voices. And then in some ways, in the last couple of years, the voices have been silenced and censored more dramatically than ever. than even Andrew Breitbart might have predicted, for example. Um, how how writing this book, I mean, how much of this was did you see uh, what we're going through through? through? through what she had seen in her own life it seems to me it'd be extraordinary
2: well she wanted the united states not to follow south africa's example because south africa went in for wokeness and socialism 10 20 years ago and it is destroying the country literally it is destroying the capacity of the country to provide basic services to residents and she believed that there was no excuse for the united states the most advanced industrial economy in the world the oldest democracy to be doing the same things why she felt for example did the united states have to get hung up on issues of race when slavery ended 150 years ago and right. civil rights movement was over half a century ago why bring up all of this stuff all that hanging on to race and the pain of the past had done to South Africa was prevented from moving forward. And she was a woman who had experienced racial segregation directly. We're not talking about microaggressions here. Her family was forcibly removed from their home because the neighborhood was declared a whites-only area. So this is a person who experienced that, but yet came through that experience believing that You had to transcend race and that you could not let your future be defined by the past. Because if you did that, you were going to lose, for example, skilled white people from positions in the state power company, which is exactly what happened. And that's why they don't have electricity. She basically felt that the fact that some people had privileges that they've inherited from their past, whether privileges of wealth or whatever, instead of decrying those privileges, society should make use of those privileges if people have more skills and better education let them fulfill their talents to the best benefit of the whole and that way even people on the poor end even people who are victims of past discrimination will at least enjoy a better life in the future than they otherwise would if you're trying to redistribute everything so she really felt after coming through this experience more committed in a sense, to what we might call conservative values, even though she wouldn't have defined herself in the beginning as a conservative. And I think what people will find interesting is that throughout her life, she had a firm commitment to Christian principles. South Africa doesn't have quite the same Christian politics that we do in the United States, where People talk openly about Christian values in political debates. Abortion, for example, even though it's frowned upon by South Africans who are largely socially conservative, it's not really a debate in South Africa in the way that it is here. But she was committed to her underlying religious principles. And I think ultimately those beliefs are the reason she didn't follow the left off the cliff that once they had achieved the overthrow of the apartheid system once they had achieved the overthrow of racism then she believed they could be guided in their governing philosophy by ordinary common sense principles because the the, the bible principles were as relevant in the post-apartheid era as they were in the anti-apartheid era so she was guided by her Christian principles, and I, I think that's also the reason she ultimately rejected the new government, because socialism can't fill the spiritual need of humanity. And and it tries to through material redistribution, but all it does is make people miserable, equally miserable, you could say. and And so she, I think, was guided throughout by a higher sense of purpose.
1: Uh, we're talking with Joel Pollock again. Uh, of course, uh, he's over at Breitbart. Uh, dot com, Breitbart News, the a senior editor at large there. At Joel Pollock on Twitter, um, Joel, one last line of question. And we're talking about his uh, bi- the biography uh, Rhoda a Comrade Kadali. Are uh, you you're out of order? Uh, a biography out from uh, University of Johannesburg Press, um, and his mother in law actually, and so so interesting. But what? How does feminism fit in here? Because you look at uh, her life and and um, and and how she succeeded and. How how she was not um if that was a, a a barrier uh you know inside of the problems of being a, a young woman growing up and that she plowed through it and yet uh, it didn't become her guiding light i mean uh, it, it, and, and i know some of the wokeness is not so much feminism as it is sort of uh you know um just sort of far left socialism and and isms but it's a factor right how did how did that fit into her uh, career arc
2: Well, she was an internal critic of the anti-apartheid movement. She said, you can't achieve racial equality if you still treat women very poorly. So she was an early advocate for women's rights. She started what was called the Gender Equity Unit, still exists, at the University of the Western Cape. And they pioneered things that many people will take for granted today, like equal pay for equal work. and maternity leave and scholarships available to women they didn't have so many scholarships for women just as recently as the 1980s so she pushed for women's advantages in the workplace she was quite an adamant feminist and yet she was also very much a traditionalist in terms of the idea that Mm -hmm. it's better to get married it's better if parents raise children she had very old-fashioned notions of politeness and being on time for things and that sort of thing so you know she was a feminist, but also i I should point this out she was one of the early advocates in south africa for example uh for for gay rights and lesbian rights and often lesbian couples would would take refuge in the apartment she had below her home Mm -hmm. and 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 yet she felt that in this country the transgender movement and some of what's going on right now had just gone way too far and Mm -hmm. she felt that it was absurd to pushed this idea that gender didn't exist and to make that so important when the country has so many other challenges she just felt that things had gone way too far i I guess she might have fallen into that jk rowling camp of successful powerful women who wanted to succeed as women and were now watching in horror as their very femininity was taken away from them by this trans movement
1: well it's very cool a very cool book i mean joel pollock anything joel pollock is doing is worth reading so uh uh congratulations on it uh, joel and we'll we'll put it out on social media and hopefully a lot of people will read it and uh it's uh a, 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 besides being interesting and important for history what's happening it's a very nice thing to do for uh your family so congratulations on being able to do that that's very cool so thank you for coming on yeah thank you for coming. thank you on. very much all right we'll take a break everybody i'll put up on social media all the details uh, of joel's book he's He's a super resource in this country, so uh, you got to read him. And uh, we'll be back in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Uh, Great to catch up uh, with my old friend David Horowitz. He has a new book out. He has been uh, prolific, I have to say, even more than usual. Its uh, title is The Final Battle. And David, before we get to it, we should say David Horowitz, of course, a uh, uh, well-known, best-selling author, um, has been uh, uh, leading uh, activist. But at the end of the book, you write this: "Finally, I've finally I've now written four volumes of defense of our country for Chris Ruddy and the editors of Humanex Books. I hope my countrymen and countrywomen are as grateful for their assistance in making these books possible as I am." Uh, David, I saw that, and I, I caught myself ca- seeing that, and I wanted to say, "I sure am." I mean, you've had this run now where we've had great books, important books that have become flooding out because of Humanix being able to publish it. It's fantastic. This one is oh, Final Battle. The next election could be the last. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Well, Reddy has given them all their titles <laughs> and, and put the full force of Newsmax behind them. So yep. I, I think I have four books that have sold a million copies through yeah. them.
1: It's extra- it's Yeah, it's yeah. extraordinary. Straight, extraordinarily valuable, especially because a lot of your books, like this one, are a description of what's going on. And then, but also along the way, and, and especially in the last chapter, here's what's going to happen. Here's where we're headed. That's the chapter. Chapter 11 is where we're headed. So first, um, David Horowitz, again, the book is, uh, is, uh, Final Battle from Humanix Books. Um, and it's, uh, the, the next election could be the last. May I ask you, David, though, uh, about January 6th? Um, and about the ability of the media and the left to weaponize and to lie about it, I've never seen anything as effective as what they've done.
0: They're fascists, and they're very practiced at it. Uh, the, the Democrat Party has a long history uh, of associations with the mafia, and that's that's the way they behave. In January, first of all, Trump. In advance of January 6th, offered to put 10,000 National Guardsmen around the Capitol to protect it. As anybody with two eyes and half a brain knows, and on both ends of the spectrum, there are violent people or people itching to commit violence. Mm-hmm. That was rejected by Nancy Pelosi, suggesting that the whole event was a setup. Particularly if you watch the videos of Capitol Police inviting people into the escorting them into the building, and if you know that there were fifty FBI informants in that crowd, uh, and that the supposed ringleader of uh, of the right um, uh, was not even there, he's right. supposed to have sort of organized the event uh he wasn't even there and he was not well i think he was arrested 2 year 2 years later mm-hmm. um the democrats response was this is an armed insurrection right it, it, they had no evidence of that as they usually don't when they make these claims
1: well, uh-huh. and, and and let me say, David, in in your book again, we're talking with David uh, Horowitz. Uh, the book uh, is Final Battle. Later in the book, you refer to Millie. Millie is quoted as saying, "They may try, but they're not going to effing succeed. You can't do this without the military. You can't do this without the CIA and the FBI." Quote: "We're the guys with the guns." End quote. And you say yeah. in the next sentence, "That's the perfect refutation of the idea that it was an armed insurrection." I mean, Millie, of all people, admits it.
0: That it, or that it was an insurrection right. with no arms confiscated. Right. And the Democrats just went on, okay, it's not an armed insurrection, it's an insurrection. Right. Without explaining how you can have an insurrection without arms, Right? obviously you can't. Uh, they went further. They claimed that five uh, Capitol Police officers were killed. The actual number is zero. Uh, But they they plucked out a Trump supporter, Brian Sucknick, claimed that he was killed by a fire extinguisher bashing in his head while he was defending the Capitol. In fact, he didn't. He died the next day in bed from natural causes. Uh, That's how far they and they held a phony ceremony of his body lying in, in state in the Capitol. Right. A rare honor to honor him for defending the capital against the, the Trump insurrectionists total yeah. to, to lies. This is worthy of a fascist government.
1: Well, uh, and, uh, and and again, David David Horowitz, our guest. That's that's the thing when you let go through this book, uh, uh, you see again and again. I know you've said it already here. They just lie about it so completely. But what what strikes me is. Frankly, the media and the big tech, big tech and big media are working now with these big government liars. That's and- exactly what
0: the Nazis did. Yeah, they didn't. They, they didn't take ownership of the means of production the way the communists did, but they ran it. Right. I mean, oh, they, this takeover of the tech and well. You, infiltrating the tech industry with spies from the FBI and the CIA and whatnot to suppress their opposition. That's fascism. Right. And that's, that's what the Biden regime is all about. Um,
1: uh, uh, David, one person was killed. Yeah. Right. On and, it was, January 6th. It was, and it was a Trump supporter. It was Ashley Babbitt. Um,
0: Ashley Babbitt, who was four went five foot tall, mm-hmm. 40 years old, unarmed, a 14-year Air Force veteran who was, this was all videotape, was standing around threatening no one when uh, Michael Byrd, this Capitol Police officer, just killed her point blank, just pointed his weapon at her and shot her to death. And he, his identity was concealed by Pelosi for two months. And then she quashed any investigation and And not only is he a free man, but they gave him a a medal for defending the Capitol. Nancy Pelosi is an accomplice to murder, just technically speaking. But Republicans are too polite to mention stuff like this. It's crazy.
1: Uh, uh, David Horowitz is our guest. His newest book is Final Battle from uh, Humanex Humanex Books. Um, David... uh, the um, the open border in the I think the third or fourth chapter you talk about how uh, and you and you 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 say what we know what I know what our listeners that listen to me know it, it's not like they've allowed a sort of a lot of people or a few people to come in it's full on open borders we're talking about millions an and millions of people it's an invasion
0: and of the of the four million people who have flooded our country who, 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 whose identities we don't know and. Backgrounds and intentions, um, there are hundreds of thousands and probably millions of criminals, and we know this. It's on page 70 of my book. The, the Government Accounting Office did a study in 2018 uh, of illegal Im- immigrant m- migrants or whatever you want to, I call them invaders, in, in U.S. prisons, How many were there between 2011 and 2016? Seven hundred and thirty thousand. They committed. They were arrested four point nine million times, which means that they were citizens and they were arrested over and over. Mm -hmm. They committed seven and a half million crimes, including a million drug crimes, five hundred thousand assaults. 134,000 sexual assaults. You know, I could just go on and on. that These statistics are hair-raising. 51,000 kidnappings um, and 1,500 terrorist attacks. That's what Biden has given to the American people. It's interesting now that, that the wolves, the Democrats themselves, are destroying Biden. They're the ones uh, that
1: meet, yeah, yeah, exactly, well, I think they i think they I think he's been a uh you know like a good like the good communist fascist, he's been there, he's been a useful uh dupe and a fool, and now they're gonna they're gonna push him out, but, well, yeah, but he wants to run again, and right, then, right. they right. There but but David, what David Horowitz again, best-selling author is our guest. Um, uh David Horowitz Freedom Center. Um, David, what uh, the title of the book, which as you point out, is so uh effective and provocative, f- the f- final battle, the next election could be the last. I don't know, David. I mean, I, I read your books. I- it doesn't matter the next election. I mean, they-, they they did it in 2020. They did it in 2022. They uh, the- stole the last three elections. Yeah, and nobody does. And nobody does any no serious Republican well, opposition. Yeah, but you
0: know Republicans are sort of waking up, and there's a new generation there—people like Carrie Lake who are fighting uh, as uh, so many Republicans didn't before. So what I'm I'm basically saying is these people want power, uh, and they want they want a one-party state, and they'll do anything to get it. And you mentioned Mark Milley, Uh this disgraceful traitor who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he's the president's chief security advisor. Um, Milley, uh, on on January 2nd of that year, after Trump lost the election, and four days before January 6th, uh, the Iranians issued a death threat against Trump. Mm -hmm. They said he will not only be removed from office, but from life. For killing Salamani, the Iranian terrorist, uh, which he was criticized by the Democrats for doing, by the way, mm-hmm. um, Milly. Then he's supposed to protect the president. That's the <laughs> he's the chief military advisor to the president and the head of his security team. He went around the White House and uh, uh, you know the administration offices telling people that Trump was Hitler and that his supporters were the Nazis we fought in World War II and that his speech uh, that he gave uh, called Stop the Steal uh, was the gospel of the Fuhrer. Those were his words. And where did I find this in? Books written by Washington Post authors. Hmm. And the reaction to this fascist Millie and traitor. I mean, we have a civilian chain of command. Trump is the commander-in-chief, not Mark Milley. Mm-hmm. Um, but the response of, like, Anderson Cooper was to praise Milley as, as wow. though he was doing his civic duty. That's how far gone our country is. So to imagine, uh, I, I think the way I put it is this, no reasonable person could say, no, there actually is going to be a next election with any certainty, right. given the mentality of these people and the criminality. First thing about Joe Biden is he's a criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how much he's sold this country out to China uh, and, and other countries, you know, we'll maybe find out someday. But it's clear that he has. Um, the, these t- secret classified documents that he left around his his garage are things that he obviously took with him illegally um, to hide what he has done to betray this country. That that's the only. It's not like Trump who took a trove um, but was in touch with the authorities. Right. And right. as the right. as president has the right to declassify right. anything. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. That's the other part of it is Trump had the Trump had the right. Trump had the authority to declassify it if he wanted. You could argue if he should or shouldn't. That's a different question. But Biden had nothing. David Horowitz. Uh, thank you. Uh, David Horowitz Freedom Center. If you go to Horowitz dot org, you'll see all his work there. Also frontpagemag.com. dot com. In fact, there's a great interview. Uh, this, of uh, uh, Go ahead, David. This
0: book, Final Battle. Is available at Costco, Sam's Club, and BJ's. You probably can get it for a discounted price there. They okay. have stacks of them.
1: Yep. F- final battle about the next election could be the last, David Horowitz. Thank you, David, as always. Great to talk to you. We appreciate you very much. And uh, keep going. Keep going. We need more. So thank you. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. Uh, phenomenal uh i have the book I, they sent me a copy so uh i've read it it's great as always but it is really true Humanix has done a great thing by including him uh so uh getting david horowitz um writing these these books is four books one after another and they're um they've got that voice that he has of just fighting back. He's not sitting there, you know, and frankly, most of the authors, most of the books are even conservative ones are reflective and thoughtful. David's fighting. Uh, David Horowitz is a fighter uh, front page, uh frontpagemag.com, There's a great interview with him uh, on Newsmax uh, from a few days ago. You can check that out there. All right, we will uh, take a break and uh, we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment.
2: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The California Department of Justice has confirmed
1: what conservatives have been saying for decades about gun rights. Back in June of last year, the personal information of 192,000 California concealed carry applicants was leaked to the public. The California DOJ just concluded their investigation into the leak, and the results were exactly what you'd expect. In a press release, California Attorney General Rob Bonta assured citizens that he remains deeply angered that this incident occurred, and I extend my deepest apologies on behalf of the Department of Justice to those who were affected. However, Bonta also claimed that the investigation found no ill intent with the leak. Bonta will have to pardon my skepticism, but I find that Hard to believe. Despite the alleged lack of ill intent, Bonta went on to say that this failure requires immediate correction and that he will oversee a number of changes in the DOJ based on a report yielded from the investigation. Among the changes listed at the bottom of the press release are to review all DOJ policies and procedures, evaluate security risks, develop a data incident action plan, and review its approval process. Those might all sound great, but take a look at the verbs there. Review, evaluate, develop, and review. Their action plan after this review is to start a series of other reviews. No real changes are being made, just empty promises to talk about what ought to change. You can talk all you want about the stereotype of gun people distrusting the government, but why should anyone trust the government employees who so perfectly fit the stereotype of absolute bureaucratic ineptitude? If this is how they treat sensitive information on government databases, then why would anyone want to be on a government database? The government assures gun owners that if they will just submit to a registry, then gun crime will disappear and their information will be kept totally secure. Instead, crime rates skyrocket and the DOJ releases a shopping list for criminals who want to find weapons to sell on the black market. Yes, the bureaucracy is still incompetent, and no... We should not trust them with centralized information about gun owners.
2: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's time to hear the truth, not the media lies, about gun rights. At PhyllisSchlafly.com, we've got strategies to protect American citizens, protect ourselves, and protect the Second Amendment. For the latest on the constitutionally protected right to bear arms, go to Phyllis Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget, go to proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com. Uh, sign up for the daily wink there, the daily email there. Um, also, let me finish. I mentioned earlier, and I've covered it a couple times. Uh, I will be, um, at the March for Life in Washington, D.C. Uh, on uh Friday, uh, January 20th. And if you want to find out more and a lot of it will be streamed live it's at 12 noon Eastern Time, you can go to marchforlife.org, marchforlife.org, check out what they're up to. A uh, great group, a uh, great people, uh, important work. Um so we'll be there. Say a prayer that it stays warm. Uh warmer can be really cold sometimes, bitter cold, and everybody stays safe. And uh, have a have a great uh, uh, rest of the night. We'll, we'll talk uh, tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back tomorrow. This is the
0: Pro America Report on the answer, San Diego.